This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in a Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back here in studio, uh, very excited. I've been waiting for this podcast for a long time. Rick Green to a lot of the viewers, Rick Rydell, former radio host now with Fish and Game. How you doing, Rick? I am well. Thanks for having me here on the podcast. I got to say, uh, I, I, we got up here, I went to the bathroom, I came back, you were in the seat, headphones on, in front of the mic. Talking into the microphone, almost as if it's a warm, friendly friend from a cold winter's night. I mean, you're a, you're a pro's pro. Uh, you just you do it like this forever. Now, so. how long were you on the radio for? Because I used to listen mm. to you for, I feel like, I moved here in 04. <laughs> And I don't know, See, at some point I started, you were, you were on the radio for a long... Oh, first time I went on the radio in Alaska was 1979. 1979 no to shit. 2018, off and on, yeah. So wait, how did you get, let's talk about kind of how you got up here first. Okay, all right, so that, was, that would be the 1979. So um, if you don't know, I'm a Montana boy. If you, if you couldn't tell, from the chewing tobacco in my pocket. I knew because Kale, because Kale told me. Right, Kale told you. My, my son is Kale Green, by the way, a famous cinematographer here in the... Uh, very, very talented. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so yeah, I was a Montana boy, and at one point in my sophomore year, they, uh, they made this rule about missing 20 days. And if you miss 20 days, you wouldn't get any credit for that semester. I wasn't there when they... They announced that rule because it was like the first week of school. This is college. This is high school. This oh, is still high this school. This is like like I'm I'm sophomore, right in okay. high school, and so by the time I hit the 20 days that I wasn't there, mainly because most of my friends were older and they wanted to go hunting and fishing, so I would go with them. Um, so when I hit the 21 days of absence, they called me in at Billings Senior High and they said, "Hey, congratulations, you finished high school." Meaning I'm not, I'm not going to graduate. Were you a truant? Is that what they? I would that, I would say it was a truant, but it's interesting because you know um, uh, our chancellor of the university, Pat Pitney. Yes. Okay, so Pat is literally at the other high school oh. in Billings, Montana. We we grew up in the same town. Gold medal Olympian. Exactly, uh, a riflery shooter, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and and this, and she and I were talking about this in that same twenty day absent rule. Almost got her kicked out of high school. Because she's such an overachiever. And, and so there's, you know, she's going all over the world for these competitions and she's missing school. I am a juvenile delinquent and I'm going hunting, fishing, and drinking with my buddies. And the same rule almost hit both ends of the spectrum on there. Isn't it amazing how now the change in kind of education standards were back then 20 days, you're, you're kicked out of school. Right. I don't think, you know, short of, you know, doing a, bringing a gun or something to school. I mean, if you just don't go to school, I don't know if they kick people out of school anymore. I don't think they do anymore. I don't think so. You know, I, and I, and I grew up in an area before you did in an era where, where you weren't just magically promoted to the next grade. You actually had to earn your way. Well, I've, I've had Bob Griffin on the, on the podcast. Well, to, he'll, on the he'll talk about Board of that. Education and the social promotion idea yes. was started a long time ago is, is like, if we, if we hold them back, it's going to hurt them. But they, what they've obviously found out is promoting them without being 
educated hurts them more. Absolutely. In the long so, run. So anyway, that was back in those days. Because again, it was back in the, you know, I went to school in the uh, 60s and 70s. Because I'm, I'm old now. I'm old. Well, you just, I, I got to say, you just turned 60, right? I turned 60 and don't look a day under 59. You don't look 60. <laughs> do you well, feel, see, I, I turned 39 in December. And so I'm 30. I, I don't, I don't know how, do you feel, I don't feel like any different than when I was in my 20s. I, I know I'm getting a old. lot different than I did in my 20s. I'll just tell you that. But that's just when I wake up in the morning, how bad it hurts. Uh, but anyway, so back to the story. So I get kicked out of school. And there was a um, a, a baseball team I played for. Because I was kind of a, a, a jock back then. I played uh, baseball. I played football. And I played on the high school rodeo team. And the which, rodeo team? It's Montana. Keep in mind it's Montana. You, you watch Yellowstone? I haven't watched it, but I need to. Because a lot okay. of people have recommended it. If you it. watch Yellowstone... Not, I'm not saying that life on a ranch is exactly like it is in Yellowstone, but Taylor Sheridan, who writes it, obviously worked on a ranch because there's enough subtle nuance that is correct that you can say, yeah, my childhood was kind of like I've that. seen Legends of the Fall. That's a good one. Yeah, that was probably in the 20s, though, uh, in Montana mm -hmm. as well. But uh, anyway, so, so the point goes is that I'm playing baseball, and I had to go tell my baseball coach, hey, I can't play for you this summer because I just got kicked out of school and my parents said I need to get a job or I have to move out of the house so I won't be able to play. And he said, if I give you a job, will you play? And I said, a job doing what? And he said, being on the radio, which is where I started. But you could radio. still play on the team even if you weren't even in, in school? Even if I wasn't in school, yeah. Man, this so, is this is a kind of Wild West. It there. is the Wild West. It was the Wild West back then. Anyway, so... Uh, so he gave me a job at a, uh, a country radio station called KGHL in Billings. Um, I couldn't use my real name, which is Rick Green, because my father was kind of a famous disc jockey at the other country station in town. And I'm a junior. So, oh, so he's Rick Green, too. Well, it was Dick Green. Which which always brought up some interesting thing because you remember phone books back in the day? Oh, yeah. They list your, your last name first and then your first name. Green Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I used to always enjoy the phone calls that came in. My parents did not. So I feel like I'm going to maybe steal the story, but but did Kale tell me or maybe you told Did you open a phone book and then you just you just like. Yeah, that's how the uh, the program director, a guy named um, Wayne Coffey, he's dead now. He uh, He's the one that hired me. He said, you can't use your last name, Green, so go through the phone book. Pick a name that starts with R, and that'll be your new last name. And so it's a, a nom de plume or a, a, an air name, a show business name, whatever. Now, now, now you've been at Fishing Game for five years yeah. since Dunleavy won. But when you, I guess I probably from Kale, I knew it. I knew it from Kale that your name was Green. Mm. But and I don't so think, is his, by the way. <laughs> that's how I knew. Yeah. But um, how many people never knew your name was not Rick Rydell? Most people did not, except that, um, uh, what was the gal that used to do the ear? Uh, Sheila Toomey. Oh, Sheila Toomey, yeah. Sheila Toomey did about a 100-column-inch article on me, uh, I want to say, in, see, I started at KNI in 2001, so probably like 2004, and she kind of put that whole story and how my name changed in the story, which was the first time it was ever printed anywhere. Now, now, when you were on the radio, um, we were talking about this earlier before we started. I mean, there's Procaro in the afternoons now, mm -hmm. and then there's Domboski, which I, I don't listen to. I can't do it. <laughs> but when you were on the radio, it was like people, I mean, I'd be at events or in politics, especially. It was people, the Rick people would, radio did you, hear, did you listen to Rick? Did you hear the sound yeah, of Rick? I mean, this yeah. was like a, people listened to it. I listened to it. It was, and the thing I loved about your show was it was almost all local. All local. I mean, you, you would almost touch on 100%. some things sometimes, but, you know, yeah. like when Fagan was on there recently, mm. he was... 80, 90%, you know, 
national. Right. Well, you want to hear the theory on why? Because there's a, there's an actual reason why I do that, and there was a reason why I didn't do guests, by the way, and it's it's both the same reason. Which always bugged me. It bugs a lot of people. Always bugged who me. wanted to be on the show. It didn't bug my listener, and that's all I cared about. I cared about nothing except the listeners listening on the other end of the speaker. As a matter of fact, if you're listening right now, you know I'm talking about you because I'm going to scratch the inside of your speaker so you know it's you. Hang on. There, if you heard that, <laughs> it's you I'm talking about. That's a Rydellism, by the way. I love that. So, so, so why, why, why never national? Why was that? Because you know you have local listeners? and No, no, no. Because the, the same thing with guests. Everybody can talk about the national subjects. Everybody can call the mayor or whoever the guest is. The only thing I had that no one else had was the character Rick Rydell. So I decided to make him the focus of the show. Mm -hmm. Him and the listeners, because really the listeners are all that matter in radio. That's all that matters. You get ratings, you get revenue, you get listeners, you get ratings. That's it. Nothing else matters. I always said you have to be interesting, entertaining, or engaging, or one any combination of the three. So, so how much was Rick Rydell different or the same as Rick Green? I mean, is this... Well, it, it as, seems pretty, there's an overlap for as, sure. As in any character, you have to draw as much from who you are as you can to make it believable and, 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 and identifiable. And so I would insert as much of me as I possibly could. As you might remember, I probably talked about fish and game half the time I was on the air. A lot of, yeah, a lot of fish and game. That's, that's my passion. You know, I mean, when I, when I, when I was uh, um, a teenager and I'm working on the radio, it wasn't six months before I figured out a way to get to Alaska. And, and the, the way that happened is I went through, and, and the guy who hired me, he ended up firing me because I was on a country station, and it was a very formatted country station. And I used to do this thing called the, the Square Dance Weatherman when I do the weather. Instead of just doing the weather, I'd play that song Cotton Eye Joe, mm -hmm. and then I'd call the weather like a square dance. It'd be, good, morning, good, good evening, Billings, Montana. Your weather for today is partly cloudy with some rain to last throughout Tuesday. Do-si-do. -do. <laughs> you know, and, and he didn't like that, so he fired me. Right. So, so when you were on the country show, was it like a rate, like a rate music, and then you'd come in for a few minutes? Yeah. And it's uh, well, there's you know, there's two things on radio. There's uh, if you want to get into the depth of radio, there's an announcer, and that's the guy that does what he's supposed to do. He says the weather when he's supposed to say the weather. He does public service announcements when he's supposed to do that. He intros the song when he's supposed to, and that's what he does. And then he says his name every now and then. That's an announcer. But later in life, you realize the only people making money and having success in radio are the personalities. And those guys do more than that. And they bring their own material. Like Howard Stern. Howard Stern's a great example. He's a personality. And me personally, I was I was a crappy. Can I say shitty? You can say whatever you want. Okay. You can I say whatever the fuck you want, Rick. I was a shitty disc jockey. I would have never hired me as a disc jockey. I was that bad. Now, some people say I have a really nice voice. I don't really hear it, but I just defer to them. No, you do have a good, you have a soothing voice. That's what I'm told. And, 100%. Uh, that's part of the reason... When I listened to you, I, I would just, obviously the content was good, but I would enjoy listening to the, you know, your voice. It, it was, sounds like a professional radio voice. Sounds great. And, and, uh, and by the way, I am hireable. Well, once I retire from the uh, state to uh, read bedtime stories. Shameless so, plug, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so then it, it, it dawned on me early in my career, I needed to bring more than just do what I was told. I needed to do things like the square dance weatherman. Well, the one thing that I remember, and you did, did a lot of these bits, 
But for whatever reason, one stuck with me, mm. uh, Gunny French. <laughs> and I don't know why that stuck with me, but it was about Hollis French. And yeah. there was like a song. I don't know where you... did. If, if you produce that yourself, I did or, all those myself. Those all, were good. All the those, parody those, songs, all the vignettes. Um, some oh. some of the calls that came in, I did myself. Really? Yeah, you know, it's it's behind, oh it's behind the curtain, right? Don't pay attention to that man behind the curtain there. Yeah, some of the, I mean, the Gunny French one. I don't. Do you still have that? Because that was so funny. No, I don't have any of that. And interestingly enough, you know, I did uh, six years at one hundred point five, the Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, it was before you moved here. And it was it too was a massive show, like with ratings that really in modern times hasn't been equaled. I don't think I ever got the ratings at KENI, which were massive. Uh, the audience was huge at KENI, um, but it was even bigger when I was on the Fox. And it was Rick Rydell and Jackie Purcell, right? Oh, I love Jackie. Yeah, and Jackie did the morning show with me, and uh, we're we're still good friends. I feel like Jackie's is close to maybe maybe the most famous type person in Alaska. I say, I say this because I've been at the state fair before mm-hmm. and I've seen her and she's literally mobbed oh, by yeah. people. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, like autograph, yes. a picture. Oh yeah. Um, I've seen this more than one time. Yeah. And then when we were together, it was even worse. Right. Would you guys do like events or we like do events or yeah. we're, we're out, you know, having lunch or whatever like that. It was, it was really a lot of attention coming our way back then. But um, uh, we did that show for five years um, and then, uh, and then, and then I left and I went into contracting for a while and was out in the bush, Alaska. So let's, I want to talk about radio right now because mm. I filled in for a long time for steering. I was right. kind of ste- one of steering's filling guys and mm. he had a three hour. And I remember at first I was so scared to not have a guest <laughs> or a co-host. Yeah. If I have a co I could talk forever. Yeah, sure. But, but it's hard. And you were pretty much, you'd, you'd have callers, but you know, you were by yourself. By myself, no guests ever. But what I want to talk about is is now you have Percaro still on there, and I think a lot of his thing is promoting his he has his you know advertising business. Mm. Um, there's just not as much radio anymore, and and I feel like years ago uh, Mike Robbins asked me to come on and do a a show on a what was this thing called? Uh, I forget the station. But oh, I don't know. I worked for Mike briefly too, he, and I did I did a few you know tryouts, and then mm. he he wanted you know I said okay I, I could do a two hour show whatever, and I talked to him about this probably. Eight years after I ran in very fourteen or fifteen, maybe, mm. and and I said I'm I'm okay. I, I know I'm not going to get paid a lot, but what what can, what can we work out? And it was basically like, no, no, this is like for 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 you. This is for I'm not going to pay. Like you you can get some <laughs> revenue, or you can sell some ads, or right. And it seems like that's the thing now, where people don't make money as much money on radio as as they used to. Just slightly. There you go. Perfect. Got, got no, you, got no, you. radio went through a massive change, and it went through a change. I want to say. Probably 2012, it began, 13, 14, 15, it really started to change. And what happened was, you know, um, really what happened to radio was the same thing that radio did to TV or TV did to radio. Mm -hmm. The same thing that radio did to newspapers. You know, back in the 20s, it was only the newspaper. That's all you had, right? And then radio came on and all of a sudden the revenues split started going to the radio and radio was huge. And that was the golden era of radio. And then, uh, in the fifties, television came on and it just decimated the rate revenues in radio. Cause remember radio gets all of their money from advertising period. That's it. There's nothing else. You get money from advertising. Um, so when a new, a new, uh, whatever it is that comes on that grabs the public attention, that's where the advertising revenue goes. 
So it was like social media came around. Social media and the internet came around. And the revenues, I forget the numbers I was quoted. It was something like in 2015, 70% of the revenues that used to go to radio were going to Facebook and uh, YouTube or Google or whatever. So there wasn't enough money anymore to pay people the salaries that I used to make. I, you know, I don't want to say what my salary was, but most people would be shocked at how much I made doing the morning show at KE and I. Well, it's interesting because social media, um, in radio t- TV mm-hmm. provides something you can. I mean, I guess people scroll or they they you know they watch reels or videos. Now 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 YouTube and then podcasts. Right. Those are things that are. I guess you could be a. Compared right, to radio more where wherever, you can... Wherever an ad pops up, somebody's paying for that ad to pop up and somebody's getting that money. And and it used to be radio, TV, and newspaper was all you had. That was it. Radio took a really big hit from from all the things that are streaming and all the things that are on online. And they weren't having the revenues. So they started coming up with new ways to pay people to try and keep them around. And they started with something you brought up, um, which was the endorsements. You know, like, like, like the live reads. The live reads, and that's what it's called. You're, you're basically endorsing someone. And I, I don't know what they're paying now, but in the end, it was like if I did, if I talked about, well, our, our good friend Keith Montrenock, he's very That was one of your go-to, yeah. Yeah, and he's a buddy of mine, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, he, he did all the work on my truck, and he's a, he's a good mechanic, and he hires good mechanics, and I trust him. And so for he'll, me, he'll, he'll pick you up, right, or he'll... Drop you off, or whatever the deal is. If yeah, you... I don't know if he does everybody, but we're buddies, so he does. <laughs> he does that for me. But um, but uh, no, as a matter of fact, we're having my birthday party next week in his hangar. I think you got an invite to it. I, yeah, I got, I got a text, yeah. and then uh, he, he had a couple of fundraisers. He has a lot of events there. He so does a lot. It's a good yeah. hangar. And so um, so anyway, so Keith and I are really good friends, and uh, and anyway, so he did that endorsement, and I think he paid like sixty dollars every time I read a live commercial. Of which I think I got ten or twenty every time. Yeah, so the, st- the station takes the bulk of it. So yeah, they take the bulk of it, but instead of paying you like they used to pay us, they have your advertisers pay you. Mm-hmm. So that was part of your salary. Well, it's like anything; you got to adapt to the conditions, right? And and that's what it was. If you wanted to do that, I wasn't always a big fan of the um, endorsements because I'm sitting there going, "All right, well, it's gonna give me a hundred dollars a week, and <laughs> all I got to do is say I shop there. Okay, I'll shop there." Right. It reminds me of that scene in, um, you know, private parts, the Howard Stern, when he's talking about some store, I forget what it was. And then he's like, this is amazing. I've been going there for years. Oh, and then they go, they've only been open. <laughs> they, they, they go, it just fucking open. Right. Because I just got caught lying. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Which is, you know, an accurate thing. Cause when you get, when you, when you get busted on the air, man, it's exposed for the whole world to see. And mm-hmm. the more people that listen, and there were a lot of piece, people listening to the Rick Rydell radio program. If I got busted not knowing something or anything, it was horrendous. Do you, you have like a story of like some fuck up or something that like was said or maybe mm. not known or? Well, I think I think the the story was when I took over for Kate and I, because I didn't know that much about politics, right? You know, when I came to Alaska, this this is the funny story for those who used to listen to me on the radio because you know I I, I was very schooled in Alaska politics at the time. And I was Republican Man of the Year in, what, 2003? You know, right? I didn't know that. No, I I got a a plaque that says it, whatever that gives you. Uh, I was Republican Man of the Year for State of Alaska. And and I think about when I came to Alaska, and remember, this is 1979. And I'm 16 years old, pretending like I'm 19 or so, because I had a full beard. So this is like pipelines finished, oil's being produced. 
The dividend uh, hasn't started not, yet. No dividend. Carter's kind of everything's screwed up in the country. There's a sales Reagan's tax. Reagan's coming around. Right. There's an income tax. Mm-hmm. Right. So all of that, and Reagan's right on the verge of being here. And and I didn't really, I didn't know that we drilled for oil in Alaska. I didn't know the difference between a Republican and a Democrat at that age. I just wanted to go fish and hunt Alaska. Because I had done it in Montana, growing up as my thing, right? And it's like, where else can you go to take it up another notch? Well, there's only one place to still be in America. That's Alaska. That's where I want to go. Because, yeah, like I said, if you watch uh, you watch Yellowstone, that was more like my life So when you, you came here when you were still, like, uh, what, 16 or 17? Yeah, no, no, not even 17. By yourself? By myself. Uh, were you emancipated? <laughs> How did you, where did you stay? How did you? You know, remember, it's the 70s. Nobody's checking your age. Nobody's, you know, I had a driver's license. I had a social security number. I had worked at a radio station in Billings, Montana. That's all they needed to know. And, and you want to know who the guy that was that hired me? Who? De- Dennis Egan. The former senator. Former senator, former mayor of yeah. Juneau, the original governor's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bill Egan, yeah. Yeah, he, he's the one that hired me back wow. in, in the 70s. And um, he was like a 30-some-year-old general manager of a radio station. So you mentioned um, K&I, uh, which you were on, mm-hmm. but, I, I, you know, years ago, and this has changed now, there used to be it was you and then Procaro and then it was um, Casey Reynolds or Burke, whoever it was, and Bernadette on KFQD, and then there oh. was Steering. There used to be four distinct shows that, that I could, you know, listen to basically any one of them, two yeah. in the morning, two in the afternoon. Right. Now there's Procaro in the afternoon, afternoon, which I listen to, I call him. Mm. Uh, and then there's Domboski and the K9 in the morning, which I can't mm-hmm. listen to. And then KFQD has nothing. Yeah. Well, they've got all the national shows. Yeah, but I mean local. I mean, I think right. people want to hear. I mean, you, those national, you can listen to those anywhere. Well, you can. Um, but the reason why radio runs them is because the return on investment is good. They make enough money on those local shows. They can augment them or with national shows. They can augment them with local ones. But a lot of the audience really wants to hear the national stuff. And yeah, right. It can be anywhere. So that's why, like I said, when I did, I did my, when I developed the character for Katie and I, it was going to be, I'm going to talk about only local things because Rush Limbaugh can't talk about. Yeah. He can't talk about Ethan Berkowitz and uh, Maria Athens. I can, right. He can't talk about, uh, back in the day, Tom Fink. He can't talk about, uh, uh, Tony Knowles. He can't talk about Mm -hmm. those things. I can that's what's going to set me apart. And the fact that I don't have any guests is also going to set me apart. So, so I, 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 w- I want to ask you, um, I feel like when you're, when you were on your radio, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, the day of or the day before the primary or the general, I remember there'd be like a hundred, I mean, like 30, 40 people, all the candidates wanted to get on. Right? All of them. Wanted Everybody to get on. and their brother wanted to, even a minute to, Hey, make sure to vote. Cause, cause they right. knew people were, you know, listening. Well, who listens to, to talk radio? Yeah. It's basically people over 45 voters and who votes people over 45. So if you are the, the number one go to talk show, there are more voters listening to you than anyone else. And that's why. So, so, um, what you were doing the radio for a long time. And then I think all, all of us found out in 2018 the governor won, and then you got um, a position at Fish and Game. That's true. Which, which I'll be honest, I mean, you were one of the main radio people, mm-hmm. very outspoken. Um, later, Steering got hired. You know, after it was about you. a year later. Yeah, yeah. but 
and then Andrew Jensen, you know, from the, the right. Journal of Commerce. But what, what all the people that got hired early on, if you remember Dunlavey, there were some real bad ones, uh, initial initial bad hires that we... Hopefully I wasn't one of you, those. Well, you weren't. and But I think for a lot of people observing, mm. we're thinking this guy is going to be maybe a disaster. He's, lo- he's loud. He's got a radio. He's, he's got a, he wants to say things. But you kind of did the opposite. You went dark. I think you turned your Facebook off. For two years. Um, you, two you, years. And, you and, just, and by the way, I'm going to compliment you because uh, what I did was I knew the day I was going to get appointed. And I, and I was on vacation, by the way, for the radio station at that day. And at one point, I had deactivated my Facebook page two days before I was appointed. And uh, my son, Cale, called me. He says, hey, Landfill calls up and says, hey, how come I can't find your dad on Facebook? Yeah, because I was the only one who caught it. I, was, I, was, I knew something was going on. Right. I don't know why you I was looking. the only one who caught it. It and, was you. And Cale knew that. I don't think he, he didn't tell me. No, of course he's not. He's my son. But but there's something. But but what I, what I was gonna say is you've been there the five years now. Five years this December. And yeah. and, and you're you're um I guess you're a policy. What's your role title? I'm the special assistant to the commissioner of the Department of Fishing Game. And, and I would say by all accounts, and you can talk to any legislator mm-hmm. or any observer, you you've been one of probably the best hires. Well, I would like to think I am, and I'll, and I'll tell you why that is. It's the same reason why I was a very successful talk show host. I work my ass off at whatever I'm doing. You know, before I was a, a talk show host, I was like uh, the most profitable project manager at Bristol Environmental and Engineering, and I did that for years. If you work really hard at what you do, what you do doesn't follow you, or, you know, your, your, your uh, uh, um, reputation does. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I've gotten beyond that now. So No, I, I talk to legislators. When it comes to fish and game stuff, people, people have a ton of respect for you, and they know that, you know, if, even me, if I have questions about – Something happening because I don't I don't really track the right. fishing game stuff. Right. I'll call you and, and and you you always know what's going on, mm-hmm. or, and you know you know where to point me to, it's, to. I'm doing my job, you know, and that's that's just what it is. I'm doing. I did my job when I was a radio host, and I was very successful at it. Hopefully, I'm very successful at doing my job. Now, now you had, fishing game. You had written, I think, a, a book, right? Two about about hunting and about. Mm-hmm. So you in on the radio, you had talked a lot about fish fishing game issues. So you were. Obviously, hunting, is that just where it came from? You were Well, no, I was also, and maybe a lot of people don't know this about me, for 20 years, I was a guide here in Alaska, too. I did that, um, you know, on vacations and weekends, and then in afternoons when I did my morning show. I used to do that morning show at KE&I, and then in the afternoon, I'd run down and get on a, a, a plane with Ketchum Air Service. Hi, this is Craig Ketchum. Come on, let's go fishing. <laughs> and, uh, and I would go guide for Ketchum Air Service all afternoon. Um, and, and so, uh, being a guide, uh, I served three years on the fishing game advisory committee back in the nineties, you know, so I've been a volunteer at the department for a long time and it really is, you know, personally hunting, fishing, and being in the outdoors is really my passion in life. So your guiding was, was, a, I assume mostly kind of out of state people and mostly, the, mostly, I mean, the, you know, for fishing, there's a, there's a lot of in-staters cause, um, uh, residents cause they don't have the boats. Mm-hmm. And the, the people I worked for, I mean, I worked for Saltwater Safari Company. I was a deckhand for them their first mm, three, four years. Uh, I used to guide for uh, Kevin Zimmerman. I guided for Ketchum. I guided for some hunting guides. Whenever, whenever I hear a guide, I, I, I always go to my, my good buddy Mel Gillis. You know, Mel is an awesome, what, what, awesome what, guy. What a quintessential kind of Alaska. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, and he's been doing it forever, too. I think 50, over 50 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's the 70s. And we, we have, I, I believe, some of the world's best guides here in Alaska. And I know them, a lot of them personally. And I've hunted with them all. Of course, I got to hunt with the governor, too, one time. 
Yeah, he, he go. Yeah, he's, he's he's a hunter. Yeah, and and he's really the first one since Hammond. And you know, Hammond was governor. He when was I a guy too. I wasn't Hammond the guy, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, Hammond was the governor when I first moved to Alaska. Um, you know, it was gov- him and then Sheffield and uh, then the High Plains governor Cooper. Cooper, right? It just went on and on and on. And and oddly enough, I've been very blessed because and, and a lot of people I can think can say this in Alaska. Everyone except Keith Miller, who was only governor for like nine months, I've been on a first name basis with every one of them since statehood. You know, wow. Bill Egan. I mean, I worked for his son. Mm-hmm. And Bill was a, a, a phenomenal man. Did you ever meet him? No, I didn't. But I, I, I whenever I hear Bill Egan, I, I always think of that story. Um, he had driver's license number one. Yeah, right. He, he had like zero, 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 one. I'll give you a great Bill Egan story. And, you know, and I met him when I'm like 15, 16 years old, right? And we had met for maybe five minutes when I went to work for his son. And then I didn't see him for like six months. And we're walking down the street. And you're thinking, there's no way he's going to know who I am. He hollers to me. Rick, how are you? And then says something. How's your, whatever it is we were talking about. Six friggin' months later. That's a good, that's a, that's a. Oh, man. You, you, you know who else is like that? Hmm. Mark Begich. Oh, Begich is good. That guy remembers things. I've seen it. Yeah. Where I'm like, man, how do you like. But he's not Bill, he's not Bill Egan. I, I, didn't, I didn't know Bill Egan, but. Yeah. And but, I, I've known Mark a long, long time. He's calling he call your show sometimes. Well, yeah. Mark's, uh, Mark's son, Jacob, named his teddy bear Rick Rydell. No shit. Yeah, as he was, because uh, he his dad used to listen when they were going to school all the time, and I used to always like to explain. Well, that's easy to understand because Mark looks up to me like his big brother, <laughs> and so his son would feel security with Rick Rydell as the teddy bear. Uh, I want to real quick go back to the um, the um, guide thing, and yeah, I don't really. I just want to ask you about this. I don't really understand this, but I know there's like a difference between like federal and state mm-hmm. and these like game units and like how many guides there can be. And isn't, isn't there a kind of a fight over that a little? Well, there's a... Because um, I know, like, the resident hunters and the guides, they, they go to Juno and they get into it. And I know there's some issue about, like, I think it's how many guides you can have in, like, a unit. Well, there, there's two things you got to separate that. There are federal concessions on federal land. There are no concessions anymore on state land. There was a, a, a case called the Osechek decision, um, which broke up the the guide specific areas on state. What's consent? What does that mean? Concession. A concession. When you do something in, on a national uh, in, in a national park or a, you, like the people in Yellowstone who run the stores, they're concessionaires. They so you pay a, a fee, or they a, pay a fee, and, and guides do that on federal land. Mel, Mel Gillis is one that has, um, and my good friend Aaron Bloomquist, who's another guide, they have certain concessions on federal land. And they're exclusively the guides in those areas. That doesn't mean that residents can't go hunt there too. You know, it just means no other guide can operate in that area. And on state, on the state level, we don't have that right now. In fact, I'm on the guide concessions work group right now. So where, some people want that, right? Some people do. Some people don't. Now, now the the now, and I've witnessed this in June. Like I said, you have the resident hunter guys come show up, mm-hmm. and then you have the guy. And one time there was a resident hunters event at, at McGivney's and. Um, Mel, I was there. For yeah, that you were one. there. Yeah, I was fucking there. legend. Yeah. Mel shows up. Yeah, to say what you know. What do you? What do you I think what do you, I called him and said, "Hey, I'm going to be down at McGivney. You want to come down there?" He's talking to this guy Brian Watkins. I know, and he's like, and, and you know, um, there was some topic about the you know, guys. So I think they, they think the guides are taking the animals right for, Un- for, for unfair for, share. They think the, the 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 resident hunters of Alaska, which is an organized group. Um, their contention is that uh, uh, the resident should have the priority. But then, but then he asked this guy about 
well, about the moose he killed. Mm. Or, and, you know, he's like, well, how much, I mean, tell me how much you're using. Yeah. And then they got kind of like, at first it was contentious, but by the end of it, the guy was kind of like, ah, oh, you, you know, you made some really good points. You know why? Because you're getting 600 pounds off that moose. Yeah. It's a, it's, how are you going to use 600 pounds of meat? That's what, that's what, that's right. what he, so, so it's kind of like to me, um, and, and maybe this is a bit of a different um, comparison, but you know, people come here to pay, pay a guy, they pay money, they stay in a hotel or they, mm-hmm. they pay what, you know, there, there's money in the economy. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm going to go to the fish now and I've gotten, I've said this before and people freak mm-hmm. out, especially down the commercial fishermen in the Kenai, <laughs> but it's like these, these king salmon right. are worth, I've heard 10,000, 15,000. When you look at like somebody comes up, they get in a hotel, they, you know, the pay economic, a guide. The, the, what you're talking about is the economic impact of a, of somebody a catching a king caught king as opposed to a commercial king. In, in, yeah, in a net where, you know, even if it's right. an accident, they still, okay, they, it's worth three or 400 bucks. But yep. it, it's like, there's a big fight here, right, with mm, fishing and with kinda, hunting. There kind of is, and there's kind of not. You know, really the fight with um, in in, in uh, fisheries is between commercial fishermen and sport fishermen. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly the Kenai. You know, it's a, this doesn't happen out on the Nushagak. There's not a lot of big uh, sport fishing presence out there. Um, and really, it's interesting because that fishing game, the mission of fishing game, both as its mission statement and by the Constitution, is to manage for the benefit of the economy and the well-being of Alaska citizens. Well, well if, if, if the vast majority of Alaskans live in, you know, Anchorage mm-hmm. in the Valley and Cook Inlet, right. why, why don't, and there's all these set nets and drift nets all over, you know, and, and I've mm-hmm. heard people say back in 50, 60 years ago, there was big kings and f- f- salmon going way up, way up into the valley. Yeah, and yeah, Tal- there were. Tal- Keaton, I mean, wait, now we don't really see that anymore well, as much. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, and there's a couple of reasons for that. And, and because I work with some of the most incredible scientists that study this stuff, I mean, I, you know, I've got, I've got staff of 12 people. All they do is think about the Kenai River. That's all they do. You know, and then, and then, uh, you know, there's there's six that are sport fish and six, six that are comp fish, right? And then we've got the fishery scientists. The kings are in trouble west board, west coast wide right now. It's a bad. It's not a good time to be a king in the ocean, and that's where the mortality is. We don't manage them in the ocean. How, how long do these kings stay out there before they come back? Because um, there's some of those are. Pretty fucking big. Some of them are, and, you know, Les Anderson has the world record sport caught king at 97 pounds, 4 ounces. Got that in 1985 on May 17th. Damn. Why I know that, I don't know. 97 pounds? Yeah, and it sat in the bottom of his boat for hours before he weighed it. So, you know, before he weighed it, it was over 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. All right, and back when I guided, and I guided on the Kenai in the uh, early to mid, mid-90s, we were still catching 80-pound fish. Okay, you don't catch 80-pound fish anymore. And, and the reason why is because um, the scientists at, at, at the fishing game tell me that the big mortality of Chinook is on the first year out migration to sea. Okay. And so what that means is something's killing them out in the ocean on the first year they go out. That's where the big mortality is. But right now with the ocean being warmer than it used to be and with more, more of uh, acidic, acidic acids in it, and more, so the ocean's more acidic, um, the phytoplanktons and the copepods aren't producing like they used to, and that's f- food that feeds them. So, so, and I, I know so they don't stay out as long, and they come back younger, which means smaller. Okay, so, so I, and I've said this before, and I've gotten people freak out in the Kenai. Why not shut down the nets for a couple of years, three or four or five years? Well, we did this year. <laughs> but I'm saying just shut the no, – and then because the vast majority, I mean, if you look at like, like Southeast or Bristol mm-hmm. Bay, I mean, 
there's not as many people there. I mean, right. that can be, couldn't that be the commercial area? And then this Kenai and the Cook Inlet can be the... There are some that would argue that's exactly what you should do. But the problem comes is that, you know, when you get a permit to go fish for salmon, you get a permit to fish for salmon. It doesn't say sockeye salmon. It says salmon, mm-hmm. right? So you put your nets out and it's a mixed stock fishery. So the reds are coming back along with the kings. We get more than enough reds for them to harvest some. And it's good for the economy. Okay. You know, and we, we do have great commercial fishermen. They are great at what they do. Well, I know there's a, there's been some bills over the years. I think Machiki introduced a bill mm-hmm. about, which, which I think you should obviously compensate. This is like the taxi cab thing. Are we, we yeah. screwed the taxi cab drivers. These guys, now some of them had medallions from the eighties. So they, okay, they kind of made their money. Right. They got them for cheaper. Some guys bought them more recently for a hundred thousand or more. Right. And then they said, well, sorry, we're bringing Uber in. We're not going to, we created the mar- government created a, a market. They did, right. And then they screwed these people who spent a lot of money on the, they did. so you can't just do it without compensating people. And there was some, there was a bill, a couple bills, I think over the years yeah. about basically buying the permits out, right? Yeah. By uh, on the East side set netters. And that's the ones. And, and the reason why the East side set netters, if you think about the East side of cook inlet right below the Kenai river, when you put that net out, um, you, you are catching a lot of sockeye, but you're also catching those Kings. And those kings are a, a fragile, delicate run right now. We we had no east side set nets this year. Zero. They, we announced it early. And we did not meet the optimum escapement goal. We did not get as much fish in the river as we hoped for. Now, you mentioned about the, the water and, and the mm-hmm. fish coming back sooner. What's going on? I mean, I know in other rural parts, Bristol Bay, the price has gone way down. and So many of them. Th- there's all these other issues. Like, what's, is this a global thing or what you know it seems yeah the sockeye are running oddly enough um in idaho they got a record run of sockeye again this year you know and that's and that's and and remember though sockeye are different than chinook sockeye spend most of their rearing time in a lake they're not spending most of their time out in the ocean so they they rear a lot in lakes and and then uh and then they go out to sea and then they come back you know, to where a king maybe spends a year, maybe up to two in the freshwater, and then he goes out to the ocean for up to five years and then turns around and comes back. So he's got a lot more time out in that ocean than a sockeye does. And the... Um, wow, five years. Jeez. Yeah, right? Right. But that was like, you know, and I talked to, talk to the people I work with, and they know these things. I said, okay, Les Anderson's king, because I obsessed with that king, right? I mean, because I, I literally was guiding three years after that happened on the Kenai driving a, a boat for a um, Jaybird's guy service. He's another guy that's dead now, by the way. Uh, great guy, though. You'd have liked him a lot. He, he really Jaybird. Jaybird. He was the one that introduced me to um, Good Time Charlie's down in Kenai. Oh, you know, that was really sad a couple of yeah. years ago. They, they DOT had, like, the – that's a strip club down there that they um, had for a long we time. We like to call it a dance hall girl. Well, they had – I didn't even realize this, but DOT had, like, a right le- lease it to them forever until they were – ready to do what they were going to do. Like with, at 150 a month. It was, it was like nothing. But yeah. the deal was someday we're going to need to take over and, yep. and for the road. And I mean, they were open for decades. And then oh, a couple, yeah. it did, was that way in the nineties. He didn't own it in the nineties. They, he was renting it from them. They did this article a couple of years. And I remember it kind of was a public media. It was a really good, good article. And yeah, um, that was like a staple. You drive down there and you'd, you know, you, there it is right on the oh, way. The fishermen that were coming, the Kenai river was, was famous. But Good Time Charlie's was as famous to these out-of-state fishermen. Yeah, it's uh, all these all these staples. And you didn't ever get to go there, did you? You, um, you didn't weren't here in time. So you know, I, I, one of my regrets is I've I had been down there mm-hmm. and I had driven by and 
I heard these stories, like oh epic my God. story, all oh kinds of stories. And, and one time in we were heyday. One time we were down there, we were going to go. And I don't know what happened, and I didn't go. And yeah. I, I've always regretted not at least going in for you know for a drink for yeah. For an well, hour. there was there was a good time Charlie's, and then there was Edie's Frontier Club, and that one shut down a lot earlier. That was that was a a self proclaimed house of ill, Ill repute. Edie's what? Edie's. Edie's. I think it was called Edie's Frontier. Club. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, one. there were rooms above the bar. Oh boy! Yeah, and uh, but that was you know, and 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 for those it's like old school Alaska, for, yeah, for <laughs> for you Alaskans who have been here a long time, you know what I'm about to say. It really used to be the old west up here. I mean, I've read so many books and talked to people that have you know been around in the '70s and the, mm-hmm. the oil boom, and you know I've I've read you know going to extreme the McGinnis book and all these yeah. these um, these accounts of what was going on. It's just just a. Uh, you know, um, Johnny Johnny's girl. Johnny's you know, girl was that's a another great, one. Great period piece, yeah. About just the create the gambling and the prostitution and kind of just it was just in the open. I mean, well, no, yeah, nobody and, really gave a shit. And Kim Rich, the author of that book, she she still comes back to Alaska. Yeah, I, we, we I actually need to get her on the podcast. We did our book for um, our book club, my book club. A oh, you did couple, good a couple of years ago. And yeah, we, we've, I reached out to her. We, we're, you know, we're in touch, and I think she lives in Louisiana. Yeah, but, her and her husband Bill. But just uh, that that book is just just kind of. Well, it's just a great timepiece of of a shot of of Anchorage that you won't see anywhere else because it was after the gold rush, after the World War II, which were the big boom times, and right before oil, mm-hmm. right before yeah. oil. So. And then there's, I'm sure you've probably read Coming into the Country, John John McPhee. You know, no, I didn't read that. Oh, you that that, that that's up your alley because there's a lot of kind of the um, political thing, but there's also a lot of the rural kind mm. of you know hunting fishing type stuff way right. out in the middle of nowhere it's a really that was a really good that was also in the 70s yeah and in the 70s and in the, in the 80s and even maybe even the early 90s were very different in alaska than they are today at least from my perspective what what what, what, what would you say the biggest since 79 right you've been came yeah in what, what would you say the biggest the biggest uh change, change was i think operation polar pen oh that's the um yeah. Corrupt Vico stuff, right? Well, they came into it later and and for those who don't remember, there was um uh, you know, there was a time when I think and I wouldn't name names, but there was probably more graft being paid to politicians back in the day. It was the way it was the way business was done in Alaska, right? And then Operation Polar Pen came, and they were looking at. At first, they were investigating the the private prisons that were trying to uh, emerge here. That was a Tom Anderson thing. Well, he was involved in that yeah. too, and then and then it kind of went into. I want to say what was his name? Uh, he used to he used to own a a i h. Oh, you're t- you're talking about um, it's, um, um uh, what's his name? Joe Boehm. Joe Boehm, yeah. Yeah, this this guy was a bad bad actor. Okay, I mean, so well he he was he was gone down a, a path of drugs and and well he he had the uh, what was a prostitute the 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 head the head um Bambi Tyree Bam, Bambi Bambi the, they had him you know at some point it was so bad he was held up in the house and Amanda, Amanda Coyne and Tony Hop right. thing wrote that Crude Awakening book and a lot of it was about how he was basically held up and, and yeah, um, almost held hostage, hostage but for and, but for more drugs, right? More money, and these some of these girls were fifteen, sixteen yeah. years and old from out of state, mm-hmm. where the Man Act comes in. But interestingly enough, about that house, are we running out of time? Oh no, I'm just because no, I can go on for hours. Oh, buddy, this is <laughs> landmine radio. We can go as long as you okay. want. Okay, all right. So that house, and, and you're friends with my son Kale. That house was four houses away from where we lived in Ocean View. 
when all of this was going no on. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm taking Kale to school one day, and I remember he's standing up in my pickup truck. I'm not probably as good about seatbelts as I should be. And so he's, I don't know, maybe seven years old. I'd have to look at the time to see what it is. But we're driving by Joseph Boehm's house, and this is before all of this stuff breaks. And I look, and there's a cop at his door, and on both sides of the house, there are two, there's a set of cops, and they're all got their, their gun drawn. And I remember saying, Kale, son, something big's going down there right now. Well, what that was, that was the day they busted Boehm. And that was the day that they started, to, uh, they had already tied in um, uh, Alan from Vico. Yeah, because they were, they were buddies. Right. And, and well, and Alan used to spend a lot of time over there from what I'm told. Yeah. Um, and so what that was, was the start of a series of dominoes that went down because they went after Boehm, they went after um, uh, Bill Allen. Uh, and Bill Allen was doing the remodel of Ted Stevens' house down in Girdwood. Mm-hmm. And so then they went after Ted Stevens, and, and they, uh, they, they tarnished him enough so that he lost that election, and Begich won, and literally that led to the passage of Obamacare. Yeah, he was a 60th vote, yeah. Right, he was the one, and it all started. And, and you know, I've, I was around then, and I was following this stuff, and it was all pretty bad, but... Lately, the more I've I've talked to people, I actually talked to somebody recently who was right in the middle of this, and mm. and and yeah, these the coring caught all this stuff, you yep. know, bad news to taking the, but it was just such little money, well, and, and any money yeah. is bad, but 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 the, the the crazy thing about it is these guys <laughs> would have voted for the these bills anyway, anyway, like yeah. it wasn't like you were paying someone to switch a vote, no, but Bill just got um a little, I, I think he was getting a little. Um, but that's the way business was done in Alaska before. I think he just got a little maybe um, cocky, and he was do- you know he was doing the pol- Vico was obviously. I mean people people do donations. Pe- companies oh, yeah. donate to people. Right. This is not like a foreign- well. And remember, Vico was a very respectful company, and I can't. I you know I still have a Vico hat. My son, my oh, I have friends that work there. Older, my, you know, uh, that were, were, yeah, my my older son worked there before they got sold, and you know they did a lot of great stuff for this community. And certainly, just because someone worked at Vico didn't make them corrupt. No, no, I, I know a lot of people, friends, parents of you know friends of that worked there, and it was they. The, I mean, solid people, company. Pe- people describe Bill Allen as you know there'd be people that would that would you know have left and got sick mm-hmm. and bring him back on, so yep. they had the insurance and. Um, right. I, I just I just think he just had an old school way of thinking, and yep. he was do, he was doing bad things, but it got so blown out. Of, and then the really bad thing about you know with Ted Stevens, and that now a lot of this has come out. Now we know what yeah. really went down. But but they relied on on Rick Smith really yeah. his testimony about you know t- Ted. Mm-hmm. Well, but everybody said he was an evil, corrupt, bad guy. But all of a sudden now he now his testimony against Ted is good. Yeah, you know when, when right. clearly he was trying to save him. They were trying to save themselves. Right. They were through. This right. is how this works. I mean, um, I, I think another comparison is the Molly Bloom. If you've read the book Molly's Game or watched, no. I mean, she got she was doing you know, these big poker games and took them to the East Coast and was local gal here. No, no, no. Though no. she started and it was in California and. Got involved in kind of See, the now under- you're going right to the national topics here. I'm trying to stay local. But what, what I'm just that? trying to say is they got, they, she ran games and you mm. know, got in drugs and there were some Russian mobsters involved. Right. And they later, when she started, you know, stopped doing the games, they came to her and they took all of her money. And mm. what they do is they take everything from yeah. you and then offer it back to you if, if you give them what they want. Oh my God. That, you know, you that, know? that was, that was poor, my, you know, a good friend and he's, he's deceased now, but, um, um, my, 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 my good friend, Ben Stevens who's now passed mm-hmm. away. It was horrible that what happened. He to told yeah. me, well, he told me, you know, that FBI came after him twice. Yep. 
two times. And, and he told me at one point, he said, you got to understand. He said, I, I used to get 200 phone calls a day. Now you're one of the few that call me, you know, more than once a week. And, and that was in the middle of the whole thing because everybody wanted to throw him under the bus. They wanted to throw Ted under the bus. It got so bad at that one point when Ted, um, got his guilty verdict and he was coming back to still run because he was still in the race. Um, they were having a welcome home rally at uh, the Pen Air hangar out there. I think it was Pen Air. It might have been FedEx. Um, but they, his campaign called me and they said, Rick, we're having a hard time finding a big-name Republican who will stand up and host this. We understand if you can't do it for your job, would you consider hosting this? And I said, you know, for Ted, I don't care if they fire me. I'm going to be up on that stage. Good for you. Good. And uh, And I have to say, uh, one other Republican stood on that stage with me. Only one. Who? Lisa Murkowski. Wow. And she had nothing to gain from it. You know, I, I gave her a lot of props for that. I mean, it's it's amazing what, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely not one of these kind of like, fuck the FBI people. But if you mm-hmm. watch some of the stuff going on lately, you, you just kind of have to wonder, like, you know, what, who's making these decisions? I mean, this should not be like a political organization. I mean, obviously the political appointee runs it, but... This should not be a political organization, not, especially not the integrity. Of and and the, the one guy committed suicide. Well, the one guy committed you know, suicide involved in the Ted Stevens. And then thing. you remember, you remember the story of the trial when they had Bill Allen coming in. The 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 FBI gal was wearing clothes to please Bill Allen. Yeah, that's documented. She's wearing a dress because he wanted her to wear the dress. What's that? Yeah, it's 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 what happened there was such a. <laughs> it, it, it's all. You know, it comes out so much later, but oh, yeah. the dam- by that point, the damage is done. Yeah, but, you know, Ted Ted taught me when I was very young. I met Ted when I was a teenager, you know, him and Don Young, and, and I met them both when I was down in Juneau. And Ted really taught me to believe in your friends, believe in your friends even in the face of serious questions. Believe in them until the truth slaps, slaps you so hard in the face you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Then you can you can say, all right, I gave you the benefit of the doubt. I got a Ted Stevens. I've said this before, but I was at the Republican convention in 2008. I was a big Ron Paul guy back then. Yeah. And I remember I liked I, Ron. I, I think I'd call your show. I'd call David, get pissed. You know, okay, enough fucking with Ron Paul. We're done right. with Ron Paul. But I went to the convention and the, the whole Ron Paul thing happened and Randy kicked us out and it was kind of crazy. <laughs> but I saw Ted Stevens. Yeah. And I was, what, 23, 24 then? Mm-hmm. And I saw Ted Stevens and... This is the time when, when Real ID was really starting to get going oh, yeah. and, and all this, uh, you know, people were talking about this, remember the NAFTA, they're going to, yeah. they're going to check, check our cars and everything. Giant sucking sound, <laughs> sucking south. You know, these, these NAFTA checkpoints. Right. So I, I was like one of these guys who were like, they're trying to track us, you know, right. this Real ID. So I, I see Ted Stevens and he walks by me and we're in this big conventional. Yeah. And I said, Senator Stevens, I want to know, are you going to, are you going to support this Real ID? And he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, what, what is this fascination with this? And he pulls his wallet out and he shows me his capital ID. Yeah. That's a real ID. Are they tracking me? Yeah. He, he goes, find another issue. Right. <laughs> He's like, walks away. <laughs> well, you know, and he has to deal with everybody of all oh, yeah. political persuasion. And he was right. I mean, it's like, who, who gives a right. shit? So you've tempered a little in your old age. You know, I used to be so hardcore. <laughs> I was talking to a friend about this a couple of days ago. I used to be so hardcore libertarian. Yeah. And I still, in my core, I am kind of a live and let live that, well, that's Person. me. I, mean, I, I think most I, of us are. I, I am the libertarian arm of the Republican Party. I've always and, said that. And I still, obviously, I, I, I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But but when you're in your 20s or, th- you know, 30, whatever, some of this libertarian shit is a little out there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little out there. It's, it's a little bit out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and for me, the libertarians, why I never went with them is they were obsessed with marijuana. 
Oh yeah, and, and Gary Johnson in New Mexico. He was governor when I was. Right. He came out his second term for Mer- he was Republican, but well, and remember he, though, in Alaska, it wasn't like anywhere else. It was decriminalized here, mm-hmm. and and that epiphany came to me as a teenager on Star Hill in Juneau. You ever tell you that story? No, but this, I but I lived on Star Hill okay. a couple of years ago right, for so, session. So this is where I learn what the term liberty makes. Remember, remember, I came to Alaska because I wanted to hunt and fish. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else, right? And we're up at a Super Bowl party. So what is this? 1979, 1980? And and there's a guy, a guy cleaning pot. He's, he's you know got a, a pizza tray out and he's got a, a, br- a card and he's getting the stems i know the you guys who buy pot today don't know what i'm talking about stems and seeds you had to separate them from the from the leaf back then mm-hmm. and he's doing that and a knock comes at the door police open up i'm a young boy from montana i'm freaked we're, we're, right? we're, we're, we're oh my god we're caught we're busted we are so busted the guy cleaning the pot he says uh officer doors open come on in my eyes are as big around as saucers. Nobody's shoving anything under a couch. No one's flushing anything down a toilet. The cop comes in. He looks at the guy cleaning the pot, and he says, uh, hey, whoever is parked down here, your car is blocking the street. I want it moved, and I want it moved now. Okay, officer, says the guy cleaning the pot. Don't worry. We'll get it taken care of within five minutes. Don't worry about it. Cop leaves. I go, what just happened? What just happened? He said, Why? I said, a cop came in, you're cleaning pot, nobody went to jail, nobody flushed anything down a toilet, what the, hap- what the hell just happened? And he goes, oh, that's right, you haven't lived here that long, you don't understand the Raven decision. I said, I no, I don't understand the Raven decision. He says, so he goes through the Raven decision, he says, it's, um, it's not illegal for you to have up to six plants or six ounces in, in the privacy of your own home because of the raven decision and i said so it's legalized he says no like a tomato plant it's not legalized but it's not criminalized either and i went that's what liberty is and so that's a libertarian yeah yeah so that was my uh that was my uh my ever-growing knowledge i I, I lived on star hill for one of the sessions a couple years on kennedy street yeah And, and i had to walk up those fucking stairs every day back back home down the stairs whatever right up the stairs was it was like eight flights. It was straight oh, up. Yeah, it was terrible, straight up. Horrible. And I always like to tell people, I really didn't grow up in Juneau. I grew up in Douglas, across across the bridge from Juneau. Yeah, because you saw his kale still has a uh, cousin, the yeah. Louis bar, right? There's a connection yeah, there with uh, his cousin owns that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a great and, bar and, in uh, Douglas. It was one of my hangouts when I was there. They didn't own it at the time. So how long were you in Juneau? Uh, four years. Four did, years. Did you go there first, or did you? Did I go there first in Alaska? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When I back in the um, in the in the late seventies, early eighties, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know anything of Alaska except for south south central southeast, and I would fly through Anchorage, but never stop heading out to King Salmon to go guide. Why'd you pick Juno? Did you go on a, Did you go on the ferry? Or That's the, where you, Dennis you, Egan hired me. You go on the ferry, or did you, you fly? I, no, I flew. I flew up and shipped my truck from Seattle. And I had a 76 Chevy Blazer, which was a pretty big deal for a 16-year-old boy to have at the time, in three years later. Um, and I had massive payments on it, but I didn't. I wasn't fiscally as responsible as I am today. So having a really cool rig was all that mattered, right? Um, so I did that. I shipped my truck up, and I flew up from Alaska on July 4th of whatever year that was, 79, I think. Oh, and, so I, I don't know. I'm sure it was the same, but I've been to Juneau many, many times for the 4th of July, and it is a big, especially on Douglas. 
It was a yeah, big part. It was a big party. It was, and and back then, I I, I don't want to say this is true, but I seem to remember that stepping off the plane, it smelled like cocaine. Oh, I mean that that you know that McGinnis book. He talks about. Oh my he, god. He took he took the um, Malaspina up. It, yeah. it was in the late seventies. Shit, he might have been there when you were there. Maybe. Um, and and he met some you know the crazy like these guys that were like working or mm. the, 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 no there was these two guys and their wives and. Ended up like be, being come. They were like, you know, sleeping with somebody else, and it was like this big fight. Yeah, and it was just kind of crazy story. But but the crazy thing was he met this girl on there who was like coming back from like the Midwest, and she was working as a staffer, and then she had like left, but she was coming back, and he like kept in touch with her, and then he like, you know, was talking about she was telling him about like the the co- like she left because of the amount of cocaine. Was oh, really? being was being done, and so there was like the legislators doing the cocaine. Oh, I've, I saw. But then there was I like, s- if you were a staffer, like a lower, okay. you'd have to go. You have to go to like another place. Do you remember where you and I had a drink a few years ago down in Juneau? Um, tri- triangle, triangle, yeah, triangle. Yeah. I sat in that bar, probably in 1980, and watched cocaine being taken. Oh, by, I mean, by legislators off the bar. So, so, so he writes in this book that he went to this party. I won't name them, by the way. Are they, I wonder if they're, st- are they still, they're still around. They're still around. They're not legislators anymore. So, and he talks about going to this party because mm-hmm. he was like up here and you know read a book, whatever, and right. he got invited. And they took his coat and and they basically were giving out like it was like just here's some here's a beer, here's some everywhere. cocaine. It was everywhere. It was just it was just it was everywhere. There, there's a story that, that I'm not gonna I won't again say names. I'm not but saying I did it. By the way, I read about it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I won't say names, but someone told me that um, there was some some legislators that were in a room and and they were doing cocaine this and there's people are still around and i was told by somebody that was like in there when it happened mm. and they were really upset that the cocaine was you know getting kind of stuck into the wood table and it, it was it was they was have to clean it and all this so yeah. like 2 weeks later they come back and there's this really gorgeous glass table that they, that they they it was in the office. Oh yeah, it was like it was expensive too. I mean, it was a right. nice table. Well, they didn't lose any cocaine that way. And, and they said, "Well, they said, where'd you get the table?" He goes, oh, "I use my expense, you know, my right. legislative yeah. account." And I, so then they had this like table that was their cocaine table. Right. And we'll see, and nothing, nothing <laughs> since Polar Pan, you don't hear those stories anymore, right? So it's, cha- Alaska changed up. So, so I, I think a lot of too, and I've heard this, and, p- and people have, you know, I'm not person mm-hmm. to cause this, but with social media now. And, and, and phones and, and cameras yeah. and v- videos and um, I think a lot a lot less goes on because people are so nervous. Well, I you know and that, that that may be your youth speaking because I have a different theory. I believe it goes on behind closed doors. No, no, I, I, right. I'm, I'm saying I think it's still happening. No, I, yeah. I know, I know. Believe me, I've seen. Right. I've been doing you know, five years now. I've, yeah, but it's just it's just it's it's more of kind of like. <laughs> it's not as open anymore. You have to know the you know to go to certain parties yeah, or to well, go to and and society's different, culture's different too now. And then you have a lot more people that just don't. I mean, I don't know how it was back you know twenty thirty years ago, but a lot of legislators. I mean, you just you never see them out anywhere. Right. They yeah. They go to the Capitol. They go to the they go home. They, they fly go back. Home. They yeah. They, you never see them in the bars. And you never see them a, at, in the seventies and eighties. Man, it was a party down there. It was a party. I, I've said this many times that I feel like I missed my window. Like if yeah. I was my age. <laughs> In like night, like in the seventies, I was your age back then. Man, <laughs> but so I didn't know anything about Alaska except you know southeast where I I lived and did a little guiding, and then I'd go out to Becheroff Lake and guide with uh, for moose, caribou, and brown bear, and so I would fly to King Salmon. Oddly enough, someone who you've had on beer fear before, he and I met 
back then. I might have been in my teens. I think I was in my 20s, but so was he. And that was uh, Ralph Samuels. Oh, yeah, he's been on the podcast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He uh, uh, ran for governor once. Um, 2010. But, but uh, Ralph was, uh, he ran the Pan Air Terminal at King Salmon. R- Ralph, to me, is kind of the best example of a legislator because he did his two, three terms. Mm-hmm. You know, he did, did some things, didn't run again, got out, got a job. He's doing yep. very well. Yeah. But he just, he just, he just got in there, did some stuff, and got out. Yeah, but as he'll tell you today... The only thing that remains of all the things he did is youth fishing day is still okay. That's the only thing that's left. Well, I think he was the only one to vote against the GIA. He was. Which I he was. which he was right. And he did it without throwing then Governor Sarah Palin under the bus. You know, and most people would have done that. And he did it pretty classy. Uh, but yeah, he and I have been friends almost longer than most people I've known in Alaska. So when did you move to Anchorage? Ninety. Mm, 1990. Oh, so you were in Southeast for, for a while. I was, but then I also left and I went outside for a little while and tried to leave. I can't, I can't, I keep trying to leave Alaska. I just can't. I think at this point you're kind of, kind of stuck. I'm kind of stuck here. So 90, that was at the kind of tail end of the recession, but after Exxon Valdez. So yeah, I missed the, um, the, the big, the big, I I call it a depression up here. Yeah, it was bad. Because I left in the late eighties, right as things were starting to crumble. And then I came back in 90 Uh, and oddly enough, um, you know, I mean, I look at the price of houses today. You know, some of those same houses that are going for five hundred thousand dollars, I remember passing on them for a hundred and fifty. Oh, it was. I mean, I I know a guy I used to rent a uh, years ago. I rented a condo kind of where I live now. I, I bought a condo in twenty twelve off of Sylvan and Old Seward. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I rented another condo um, by this te- math teacher, retired math teacher, yeah. and it was. Uh, Woodlands East, they're right over off mm-hmm. Sylvan and Olds. Anyways, um, he had owned like fifteen of these things, and I, right. I go, I go, how did you buy fifteen of these? There, there was they were cheap. He bought them for like thirty or forty grand a yeah. piece back in the. He had money and he had some you know, credit, yeah. and he rented these things. This is like basically his retirement. He rented these things for years, yeah, and then started selling them off. You know, thir- you know, thirty well, years. Most, most of my wealth is because of real estate I've sold here. You know, yeah, he, I, he, I remember buying a house in God nineteen ninety. Two ninety three. It was a zero lot line. I bought it for forty one grand. Oh man! You know, I sold it uh, eight years later for eighty, and thought, "Oh my god, I'm so rich!" Right? Uh, I bought my house in Ocean View for one hundred and twenty nine thousand oh, dollars. That's a five hundred thousand. I was going to say now. anything in Ocean View is yeah, you know, yeah, up there. Absolutely. And uh, you know, isn't it wild right now how you know the average price now it's four sixty in Anchorage, right? And and every historically forever. When interest rates go up, the inverse is prices go down. Right. That hasn't done that here yet. But now prices are, st- this is nationwide. And part of this, I, I think, is because after the 08 global financial crisis, mm. 09, there was an overbuild because there was so much credit and so much money. There was there was an overbuild. People got nervous. And now, since then, there's been not as much building. Now we have an undersupply. Yes. Yeah. Especially in Anchorage. You know, there's a lot of uh, construction going on out in the valley. You know, I, I know that... Uh, Half the uh, houses in this in this uh, state got built last year in the valley. Yeah, in the valley, right? Because that's where, you know, when you think about it, with you get these young engineers coming up to work in the oil industry, they can't afford the house in Anchorage anymore, but they can out in the valley. And so they're they're buying out in the valley, and that seems to be... And, there's, you know, there's a uh, perceived land shortage in Anchorage. Even though we got land all over the no, place, it's a zoning problem. I don't know if you ever remember. I, uh, um, I, I kind of created a, a. It was kind of a joke, but I, I created this false narrative that I knew some developers that were ready to develop far north bicentennial park, 
and I had all the numbers of how much property taxes it was going to develop mm. and all this. Of course, the friends of Far North by Centennial Park went through the roof. So they freaked out. They freaked out, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, we've got land. We just don't have um, a lot developable right now with the current way things are going. Well, and you look at, you know, in the assembly, Kevin Cross and a few of them tried to do a zoning rewrite. And yeah. It's, it's funny because they got attacked more by Republicans than anybody else. Right. For trying yeah. to simplify zoning. To, yeah. to, I think there was 10 different zoning. Thing. I mean, they wanted to go down to like two. Right. And, that, and everybody lost their minds. So now they want to go to five. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't follow that stuff nearly as much as I did when I was on the radio uh, because it was my job then to follow it. I am so immersed in the world of fish and game right now. That like takes up most of my bandwidth. That's all, you're, that's all you're doing. It's what I do, yeah. So you've been there five years. What's mm-hmm. what? You're 60 now. What's the, I mean, do you have any plans for long term? Or what yeah, do you... I know. We're going to see what we're going to see what happens. You know, there's that. Uh, um, you know, I talked um, fiscal responsibility and taking care of yourself all those years on the radio, and I kind of started to believe my own headline. So I was contributing to a 401k, and and really not believing it was ever going to work. My God, compound interest is real. Yeah, it works. You know, because I looked at it one day and went, how did it get so big? Well, now I'm that magic age of 59 and a half where I can pay myself out of that. And so I really don't have to work anymore. So we'll see what y'all. That's, that's what I, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to save more. I'm be 39. And, well, you and I talked you know, what, about a year and a half ago yeah, I about know. you putting into a, a Roth IRA. Yeah, the, the 6,000 a year. Have you done it? I'm going to do it this year. <laughs> don't let it pass. I know. I, I, I You will regret it when you're I know, older. Trust I know. Me. I, it's, it's, Trust me. It's hard, you know, starting the landmine five years ago, six years ago, and then, you know, I, I was working before at GCI and in IT companies, and I was, right. making, I, I was doing my, four, they was matching, all that. Right. And, you know, and that was a very generous one, I'm 10%. Told. Yeah. Yeah, but you had to be there for six years, and, right. Um, you know, you could do 18, I think now it's 19,000 a year. Right. Like, match, you know. Yeah. Other companies do two or three or 4%, but. Well, remember, yeah. you're going to be 50 soon, and then you can do that catch-up, too, which yeah. is, it's about 26 grand a year you can I'm not going to be 50 now. soon. Don't say that. <laughs> but, but you know, you start working for your... Now, with my political report, things are starting to... You know, that's been going on our fourth year. Yeah. And, you know, you guys get that, and I appreciate that Fishing Game gets it. And, yeah. You know, it's been, it's been growing and catching on, and, and that that is some finally... It's hard, you know, when you're yeah. on your own. It's hard to, to, to build something and... Get and a radio like, show like that. No, I, I was... We were talking earlier with Scott, you know, I, I, I get these like tax bills, which <laughs> you pay your 15%. Right. But then I get my, I got to pay my CPA and I got to pay lawyers once in a while. Wow. You got to, you know, it's like you're getting ahead and then, oh, you got to pay your commercial insurance and, and your, all the stuff. Let's see how many lawyers come out of this interview. I mean, every, every, it's <laughs> like every time I feel I've like said. I'm ahead, yeah. I get some bill yeah. from well, somebody. Welcome to gonna, adulting. And you got to pay, and you got to pay it. Welcome to adulting. Yeah. When happens. you're working for somebody else, you know, you don't. But but the the upside is if you do really good, mm-hmm. you get the upside. Yeah. Whereas if you're working for a company and you do, I mean, you might get a little bonus or something. Right. But but they the owner you know gets right. the upside. Well, and that's what I've always said. You know, the the guy working for someone else is looking forward to his new paycheck, his next paycheck. The guy that owns the company is looking forward to the day he sells it and retires. Yeah. And that's the two differences. Or, or, or the guy, you know, he can if you own it, you can go anywhere. You know, you're. Always, you know, if you want to go on vacation, you don't have to ask permission, or right? Get, you, and you're still making money. Yeah. Well, you know? hopefully, if, if you got it set up right. If, if you, it's right. Yeah. Last yeah. thing I want to ask you, Rick, is you know, you've been here a long time in the state. You've done all these things we talked about. Where, where, where do you? I don't have a very optimistic view of, of our state. I mean, I wish I did. Mm-hmm. Where do you? Where do you think we're going? I mean, we seem like we, we always get in our own way, whether it's on this dividend or we uh, can't build roads or bridges or nothing really happens yeah, anymore. No, we can't. I think I think the the great things about Alaska, at least from you know my perspective, and remember, I came here because I wanted to hunt and fish. 
Um, you know, we are blessed to have the commissioner of fishing game we have. We've never had one as good, ever. He's one of the original guys that's still around. Yeah. Him and I think Torrin Sachs. And yep, those were the only two, I think. Because Bruni, Bruni just left. Yeah, Bruni left. Um, uh, 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 a lot of people changed jobs, and he's still there. But remember, this is a guy who came to work at the Department of Fishing Game in 1981 and got his degree in, uh, he's got his master's degree in oceanography. He's got his uh, um, uh, undergraduate degree in biology. He picked this to do for a living. He came out of retirement to take the job, right? He came out of retirement to take this job. Every time I've interacted with him, he's been on the podcast. I've talked to him at different mm-hmm. events, and you can just know this, like, this guy knows his shit. He does not ever have to say, that's a good question. Let me let me look into that and get back to you because he knows the answer. Yeah. He's got his fingers in everything in that department, and we are blessed to have him. So from my perspective, the um, the fish, the game, the wildlife, the uh, outdoors of Alaska, you know what? It's going to be here no matter what the government does. So, Well, for some people, that's, that's what they want to do. But for a lot of people, I mean, they want to do that, but they also want to we, you know, we want to have a place people want to come to. And we, people are leaving. Kids are leaving. They aren't coming back. Kids are always left here. You know, I mean, grow up here. Where do you want to go? Right. That's true. But but for a lot, but but the amount of kids that aren't coming back after college or. Yeah. Well, well you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not in the town I grew up in, you know. I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm You're not, not either. I'm You're, not we're, either. He, we're here. We're in Alaska. But, but we're, we're also here. still losing people. You know, yeah. And, and we're gaining new people all the time. But as a net, we've lost, I think, you know, 10. Yeah, yeah. well, there, you know, there's a, there's a number that Alaskas can support, and that's it. You know, and uh, ben, St- uh, ben Stevens always said he thought the number was more, you know, if, if, if everything happens and the oil finally dissipates, he thinks the state can afford uh, economically about 450,000 people. Which is so crazy if you think about, I mean, our size, right? Yeah. Compared to, I mean, we have, what, 700,000 people? I mean. Yeah, but when I moved here, there were 400,000 Alaskans. There were 400,000 of us back then, and that's it. But just think, think of those numbers compared to, like, L.A. or Houston or New York. Or, I mean, right. millions and ten, ten, millions of people. I mean, but yeah, look t- at tiny little areas. Look at Wyoming. Less people than Alaska. I think we're, what, the fourth? I think, least? yeah, Wyoming's the least populous state. Yeah, it's Wyoming's four, the four, least 500,000. And something. Wyoming's a cool state, too. There's some neat stuff down there. You know, it's from Wyoming that I, that I want to get on the podcast is Fred Parody. I don't know Fred. So Fred used to be the deputy commissioner for uh, commerce. Now okay. he's with Huna Totem. He was the speaker of the house in Wyoming. Oh, was he? Yeah, he's he's around. He's in Juneau. Yeah, and so. I think their legislature pays him like five thousand a year, just like this little stipend. Yeah, that might be the that 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 might be the case. I know yeah. I know that they have about the same number we do. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. You know, California it's pays sure. a lot. Now ours is going up to eighty four thousand in, in January right. for legislators and per diem. But but like New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's like a hundred bucks. Yeah, right. And they, and they have this third largest legislative body. They have like four hundred and right. some people in their in their. They only have like maybe thirty senators, or but they have like four hundred and yeah. It's 20 truly some, a, it's truly a citizen legislature. Oh yeah, it's it's know. it's a whole different. Curve. And and you know you talk to the legislators now. How how many of them is this? Isn't what they do for a living anymore? Not not a lot of them. Right. Yeah. So. So 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 you so you have a sounds like a pretty good outlook. I mean, think, I think Alaska is great. I hunting think the and fishing are good. And yeah, it's gonna for, be awesome for Rick Green, Rick Rydell. It's, oh, it's it's good. Yeah, it's fine by me. Yeah. So. And, and and Kale's doing Kale's doing good. Kale, He's, my sons, my I have three sons. They're all doing very very well. And then J- J- Jake is Jake is a chemical engineer. Yeah. He works at ConocoPhillips. Uh, my youngest son, my bonus son, which would be a whole other story to go into. That's all. That's a, that, we won't get that's, into that. That's one. the next podcast. That's the next podcast. Uh, he is getting his uh, degree at UAA, and he is working at Fishing Game now. Wow. So, yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm very lucky to have three kids, and none of them require anything. Say, Rick, you're, you're you're the blueprint. We got to cut. We got to whatever you that's whatever you did. Whatever. We got to. I tried to screw those kids up so bad when I was their dad. Did Kale ever tell you about the monkey nuts? He did not. Okay, so we're at cars one time, and I I guess I tried to screw them up right, and I looked over, and the Kiwis were over there, and I said, "Hey, boys, come here. Look over there. There's monkey nuts." God. And they said, what? They're like right. young kids? Or? Yeah, yeah. They're like, you know, five and seven. Look over there. Those are monkey nuts right there. I should get some and take them home and eat them? No, Daddy, I don't want to eat monkey nuts. No, we're going to get some and take them home and eat them. So one by one, I took them into the kitchen at the Ocean View house, and I took a big meat cleaver, and I stuck the, the kiwi up there, and I said, I said, now watch this. And I went, Smack. Cut the monkey nut in half, and they crossed their legs like something hurt. And, and I'd scoop <laughs> the big green stuff out. I said, "Open your mouth, eat the monkey nut." They go, "No, Daddy, I don't want to eat monkey nuts. I don't want to <laughs> eat monkey nuts." Go, open your mouth. You're going to eat this monkey nut. No, Daddy, I don't. <laughs> open your mouth. They'd open their mouth. I'd stick it in there, and they go, they get that grimace on their face, and they're chewing. They say, "Well, what do you think?" They go, "It's good." <laughs> <laughs> So I tried to mess. Up. I gotta ask. I gotta ask Kale about that. Yeah, the monkey nuts. Well, well, whatever you did, you did. You did a great. You did a great job. Yeah, I lucky, yeah, lucky. Yeah, you stumble through that shit. You know, I'm thirty. I'll be thirty nine. I got. I, I kind of want a kid. I got to figure that out. Dude, so late. My dad was forty one when I was born. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so you're 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 done. You were done. You're done. I mean, well, you're, yeah, I'm done. I'm over with. I'm through. And I didn't, didn't even know the youngest one was there. So that's the next podcast. That's another story. We'll do that one. All over. young men should listen to this story. We'll do that one next time. That'll, Put a helmet that'll, on that soldier. That'll be the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be the bonus bonus podcast. Yeah, that's a fun one. Well, Rick Rick Green, Rick Rydell, former Rick Rydell, now Rick Green from the Fishing Game, and um, really enjoyed having you on here. It I, could I, be Rick Rydell again. I, a lot of people miss you on the radio. I, I, don't, I don't know what your plans I, I, are. I appreciate oh. that. You know, the one thing I don't miss um, the radio industry. I do miss the audience, so I miss I miss the people. Well, there's always our landmine studio. Don't forget that. Okay, there so is, but that's have, not the Rick Rydell radio program. We, we can make we can make <laughs> things happen. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Rick, for coming on. I really appreciate it, and uh, and, and yeah, you're doing a great job at fishing game. I Thank appreciate you. you being always there to answer questions. I, am, I don't. I am very thankful to the Governor Dunleavy for giving me this opportunity. I, it's been I don't, great. I don't know these issues as well as other people, so I, I always appreciate you're always answering the phone, you know, I can give me the answers. So, so I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Rick, for coming on. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.